Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. And so, that was the end of Angler's Tale, then. What about Odral? What happened after he head up north from the coast of Osland that made him such a, a controversial figure? And why did he go north anyhow? Why didn't he just turn back like Angler did? Ah, my dear Master Alchemist. I can ever rely on you to cut to the bone of every tale. Indeed. Well, apparently, his scribe too asked him the exact same question. To which it is said, he replied this. I am tormented with an everlasting itch for things remote. I love to sail forbidden seas and land on barbarous coasts. And it was indeed into the forbidden he went. And it was from this point onwards that his tale becomes, well, let's say, a lot murkier but also a lot more exciting. It is recorded that, after reaching the coast of the Gospodars and Ungles, that Odral sailed northwards into the wilder and colder waters of the Sea of Claws. Many were the incidents that befell him and his crew, each a tale unto itself, and a number of which have become part of common folklore. But today, let us look at the most famous of them. Odral and the Thrall Tamer. Soon after changing course, Odral's ship, the Iron Crown, encountered a small fleet of Norsken raiders, led by a legend themselves, that vicious Jarl of the Scalings, Bjark Thrall Tamer, the founder and lord of the slave pens of Kirk Jurgar Langskipper. Bjark was eager to add the Marienburgers to his slave pens, and the Norse gave chase to Odral. A storm at their back, and the laughter of Stromfels ringing in their ears. But the storm was faster than any of the boats and overtook them all. Its fury, threatening to tear out the mass and throw each and every sailor into the sea. It is said that Odral threw up his arms in prayer to Manan and was duly and miraculously answered. For suddenly, above the ship, the clouds rolled away, leaving only clear blue skies above them 
100 feet in every direction around the boat. The waves, too, simply stopped, becalming them, leaving the crew with nothing better to do than look on as back out in the storm, the vessels of Bjark Thralzheimer were smashed and sunk. Odral and the Whales Another tale tells of how the ship fell into the path of a huge pod of migrating whales. The pod was so vast and the sea wind so weak that they had no way of getting out of its way. And it was so densely packed that the crashing bodies would quickly smash the boat to smithereens. Despair gripped the crew. But it is said that Odral immediately offered up prayers to Manan, and the god called forth a fair wind. And mighty did the wind blow, filling the sails, pushing the boat out ahead of the oncoming whales until they were once more safe in the arms of the open sea. Odral and Cetaceus. In another story, it is said that Rot mysteriously beset the food that remained in the ship's larder, and the crew grew hungry. They were sailing along a particularly barren and rocky part of the coastline of Troll country at the time, when the ship suddenly came upon a bay overlooked by a gigantic, half-sunken cave. In the sheltered waters of the bay, the sailors could see fish leaping up from the waves, reindeer walking its beaches and salt marshes, and apple trees growing from its cliffs. Surely it was a gift from Manan in their time of need. Odral immediately ordered the steersmen to take them into the bay, but no sooner had they cleared the two sand spits that sheltered the bay entrance than a terrible roar erupted from the sea behind them. This was no oasis. This was bait. And now they were trapped by the infamous beast known as Cetaceus. The story goes on to describe the creature as a huge, 100-foot-long sea monster with a long, slender, and sinuous body. It had leapt up from the water. Its jaws were ready to savour the kill before it went crashing back down and disappearing from view. The crew immediately flew into a panic as a quietness fell upon the bay 
with individual sailors pointing this way and that as the dark form of Cetaceus swam beneath them. The creature playfully whipped the keel of the ship, causing it to momentarily jerk out of the water and sending a pair of crewmen plummeting into the icy sea. Cetaceus wasted not a moment and circled back to swallow them both whole, before again diving back beneath the waves. Surely their doom was upon them. Even Odral was silent, merely watching the sea, much to the concern of all those around him. However, the beast was far from done with the Iron Crown. Once more, Cetaceus surfaced some distance away and blew up a great spray of water from its blowhole, high into the air, before sinking down out of sight. Surely it was to attack the ship directly next. But suddenly, Odral was struck with an idea, and he began to chant a prayer to Manan, aiming his words at the beast. Manan, hear me. Grant my boon. Choked on salt water breath, let this beast swoon. A drowned man's face, grant unto it. And take its voice with lungs, O sea spit. Moments passed. The sea and the seagulls. The only sound until... Cetaceus suddenly leapt out of the water, seawater spewing from out of its mouth and streaming out of its blowhole as it gasped for air. Steersman, get us away from this death trap before he catches his breath. And this they did. Odral in Troll Country. Once they were far away from the lair of Cetaceus, the ship at last made landfall, although this time on a frozen, icy beach, littered with basalt. They moved inland, though, heading into an area of tall steppe grasses, the air filled with the call of a wide variety of birds and the buzzing of bugs. Odral unleashed his hunters, and they caught fowl by the dozen, as well as encountering rats, foxes, and wolves. The ship's cook and his men scoured the land for herbs, wild vegetables, and rare plants, as well as edible insects. Soon the ship's larder was restocked, but it was then that many of the crew's eyes turned longingly to gaze at larger game. They'd seen reindeer graze on the lichens and shorter grasses, and the prospect of such a feast of meat 
had their blades and handguns a-tremble. Odral oversaw the preparation of a bonfire on the beach, whilst the huntsmen of the crew led the way, following a heather-lined stream in search of their prey. But no reindeer did they find. Instead, where the waterway widened, they were set upon by a tribe of savage river trolls. Oh, how the sailors of Odra fled back to their leader, their dashed hopes filling their souls with fear. They implored Odra to forsake the voyage and return to Marienburg. He refused, of course, and made his famous proclamation. Manan shall not fail us. At this, his men rallied, and were so inspired that the ship's carpenter inscribed the words onto a nearby rocky outcropping on the shore. The Gulf of the Maelstrom And yet still they journeyed on. In the folktale, the Gulf of the Maelstrom, Odral sailed into what we now call the Bay of Blades, an area famed for its sharks and its waterfalls, many of which poured down from the clifftops directly into the sea. Norse ships often used them to refill their barrels of fresh water. However, many dangers plague the area, and I'm using that word pointedly, for a foul cave sits on one side of the bay there, within which sits the Shrine of Nyeglen, dedicated to the Plague God. And uh, no, Heinrich, I have not been there before you ask. On the opposite side sits another cave. This one, though, dedicated to Mermidas, whom some claim is the Norsecan version of Manan. Ach, but I thought that Stromfels was the Norsecan version of Manan. Exactly. Englebrack too vehemently disagreed with this interpretation of Amidas, and instead claimed he was a demon. She had a uh, good reason to think so too, after one of her experiences travelling up that way in search of her lost love, Harold Redson. But uh, that's a tale for another day. Let's try to not get distracted for a change, eh? Ugh, I don't believe it. Septimus von Torikhelm. Seeing a story through to its end? Where to crow of the cock? Who are you? And what have you done with the real Master Tavernkeeper? <laughs> Very droll, as they say in Bretonia. Anyway, let's continue. Now, as the Iron Crown approached the Gulf, it is said that they saw hundreds of sharks including elegant Norsecan blues and Stromfell's own grey-barbed fiends, swimming in the opposite direction. The reason for this became apparent soon enough, though, for they quickly found themselves caught in the sucking currents of a gigantic whirlpool that threatened to drag the ship down to the bottom of the gulf.
round and round the whirlpools span them, the cries of the dead souls already claimed by the phenomenon ringing in each sailor's ears. Once more, surely, doom had them. But yet again, Odral offered up his prayers to Manan and, suddenly, miraculously no less, the cries of the dead faded away and the sea became calm, leaving the ship swirling gently around on more clement waters. The Mysterious Island From here they sailed yet onwards, back west, along the coast of Norska though, before following it north, up towards the Sea of Chaos. As Odral travelled, he continued to chart all he found, travelling first along the coast of the Scalings, creating simple shrines to Manan upon the uninhabited islands that he discovered, and then onto the western tip of Norska, along the coast of the Bjornlings before eventually the Iron Crown passed the island of Bragnir, a hilly island close to the mainland and a resting place of many Bjornling chieftains who are buried in barrows across the peaks overlooking fertile valleys, kept so by the kelp the thralls of the Bjornlings used to fertilize the crops with. Anyway, after a short stop over here to uh, trade for supplies, the Iron Crown headed out into the Middle Sea, as some call the mysterious waters between the Sea of Claws and the Sea of Chaos. And so, finally here we are, the point of controversy for this voyage. Here, in these waters, Odral and his crew discovered a small, perfectly circular island in the middle of the sea. It was miles from anything else, and not on any maps. Intrigued, the crew went ashore and climbed the island's only hill to make camp and spend the night. As Odral slept, it is said that he was sent a vision by Manan. It told him that the island was most sacred to the sea god, and that Odral must build a chapel there, made from stones pulled from the sea. Furthermore, he must take the silver trident from the ship's main mast and place it in this new chapel, in contravention of Manan's holy strictures. Ach, now which stricture was that then? There seems to be about a million of them. Ah, 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 indeed. Well, this is actually one of the more important ones, and I purposely didn't mention it earlier, as I knew it would come up here. It states that every ship dedicated to Manan must have a small silver trident nailed to its mast if they wish for the Lord of the Sea's protection at all times. Without it, any ship on the high seas is doomed to a salty death. Upon Odral telling the crew of his dream, there was a massive amount of resistance, as you can imagine, and so a deal was struck. The crew would help Odral build this chapel, but 
It would be the last. And although Aldral had wished to journey further, the crew insisted that they must return to Marienburg directly. And so it was agreed. Aldral and his crew built the chapel, reluctantly placed the trident inside, and then returned to Marienburg. Although it was via Languille in Bretonia, as foul weather dogged them every nautical mile they sailed, blowing them off course again and again. Oh, yeah. So that was it. Why such a controversy? I don't quite understand. Ah, well, that is understandable. The tale of the second journey is indeed a popular folktale among sailors and landlubbers alike, and Odral is seen as a holy figure without reproach. However, it is within the cult of man and itself that it has sparked controversy and almost continuous debate over the past 400 years. On one side, the pro-Odral faction and their most vocal allies, the wealthy Navigators Guild of Marienburg, one of Odral's original backers, are keen to beatify Odral and have him adopted as the patron saint of the guild. His supporters claim that his divine visions and contributions to both navigation and cartography clearly mark him as one of the chosen of the Lord of the Sea and the patron saint of these disciplines. On the other side of the debating table, though, Odral's detractors point out that the removal of the trident from the Iron Crown was a sign that Odral was not actually guided by Manan at all, but rather by the falsehoods of some demon of the oceans, some even pointing the finger at Mermidus. They claim that the true Lord of the Sea would never have told one of his most devoted followers to remove the trident from the main mast of their boat. It is tantamount to a most heinous heresy, as it directly contravenes cult dogma. There is also one more thing. The circular island that Odral found does not seem to exist. It simply cannot be located, let alone investigated. This has led some to say that he made the whole thing up, willfully creating inaccurate navigational records, which is also a dire sin in the eyes of the cult of Manan. Whilst these dissenting voices continue to roar, there is no road by which Odral can become a saint. Oh, well, now that all sounds like a... A right pedantic mess. Do you mind if I try and cut to the nub of this theological debate? Oh, no, no, not at all. What conclusion has your cutting, priestly mind come to? Oh, well, it's this, really. Is he, or is he not, holy? Well, you've said he certainly seems to have been uh, blessed by his god. Something, of course, uh, you know all about. Ah! Oh, you kicked me! Oh, did I? My apologies. I hope it didn't lead you to lose your train of thought, Master Alchemist. Ah, oh, protect, protect me. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. Oh, get what, Master Alchemist? I don't understand. 
Nothing for your ears at this current moment, Heinrich. Do not concern yourself with it. Anyway, to address Cedric's point, I too do believe Odral was blessed by Manan. There's an old tale from Norden, in your neck of the woods there, Heinrich, that claims that the priest of the old chapel there had said that uh, Manan had appeared to him the night before Odral arrived during his second voyage. The next day, when he met Odral, he said he could see a holy nimbus around Odral's head. I myself, too, have heard a few tales from fellow sailors relating to the legacy of Odral. One man I met claimed that he was aboard a trading ship out of Remus that was caught in a terrific storm as it sailed towards Marienburg and swept off course into the Middle Sea. The man claimed that he sighted a small circular island with a solitary peak out in the stormy waters before being buffeted away by the storm towards the Bretonian coast. I believe that these sort of stories add credence to the claim that Odral was a saint blessed by Manan. Although, uh, well, it's not for me to decide these things. Och, to be true. Anyhow, so there we go, Heinrich. I think that must be all that old Septimus here can tell us about Manan and his cult. Indeed it is. Och, mm. so, uh, do you think you'll be signing up then, Heinrich? Oh, yeah. After careful consideration, uh, um, no. Not even if you gave me a dragon's hoard of gold and jewels. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> That's a thought. Well, in that case then, I think we can finally move on from Manan and all things to do with the sea. Ah, indeed. Back to the rise of Jafar. Ach, no, not yet. Heinrich and I have a deal, if you recall. He gets a bottle of your finest rum. Master Tavern Keeper, put it on the tab, and we get the lowdown on his mysterious father, the Hunter of the Undead, and the Mercenary. Ah, yes. Actually, I'd, uh, I'd hoped we'd forgotten. Fine, fine, it's fine. Well, you know where the rum is, Cedric? Oh, yeah, yeah, please, Master Alchemist. But, uh, before I begin my tale, there is one thing that I do want to check so that uh, my story makes sense. You do all know who uh, Constant Drachenfels, the Great Enchanter, is, yeah? What? Och, who? 